sana, sana, colita de rana. You're listening to Sana Sana Podcast, a queer feminist podcast that promotes healing and normalizes mental health. With Adriana and Adriana. Welcome to episode 14. Share your thoughts using the hashtag Sana Sana. Hi. Hello. Welcome to our first episode of 2019. 2019. Wow. It's like the future. It is the present, I would say, actually. Thank you for the reminder. Um, staying present 2019. We're happy that Sana Sana Podcast is now available through iTunes and Google Podcasts. So if you're a first-time listener, welcome. welcome. We love you. And if this is not your first time and you're an old timer, you've been following us through SoundCloud, we are so thankful for you listening to us and continue to listen to us and for your support. Yes, thank you. Today, we're excited to close the loop on part two of a conversation that we started last year. Um, You may recall in episode 11, we had a Corazón a Corazón with Maitokaya, Adriana. Well, today we're turning the tables. And now it's time for me to grill Adriana. No, but yes, I will be grilled. <laughs> Yay. No, I'm I'm really glad we're doing this. I actually would love to redo a Corazón a Corazón maybe next year. Maybe we do this once a year. Mm, I'd like that. Kind of see how our heart is doing once a year. Yeah, we'll check in. Plus, our stories are so long. I feel like we'll always have more to say. That's true. Okay, but before we get started in the question part, let's just take a moment to take a breath and check in with our bodies. <sighs> Relax a little bit, right? Get kind of comfy. So if you're listening on the other end, maybe uh, get comfortable in your current setting. If it feels good, light a candle or some incense. Or some palo santo. You know, just engage the senses. Maybe rub your fingertips. If it feels good, put your hand over your heart. Give yourself a little massage, a little heart massage. Help open. Take a really deep breath. Fill it up. Fill up your lungs. <sighs> Let it go. That felt really nice. Good. I'm feeling good. Good. Okay. Well, Tokaya, I really appreciate your willingness and openness to share your story with us today. Know that whatever is meant to come out today with your answers and your story is exactly what needs to be shared. And while we continue to practice vulnerability on our podcast, remember that you are always able to pass on a question. There's nothing that you have to answer that you're not ready to talk about. So I always like to say that out loud because I think it's important for us to to know our own selves and what feels good about sharing and and oversharing right we always are down with oversharing in this podcast so um good and i'm glad thank you okay wonderful okay tokaya for first time listeners can you share with us a little bit about who you are man now i feel (laughs) um how scammed people feel when we (laughs) 
have a corazón a corazón with them and then we open with that question because it is a little overwhelming to to respond to that because where do you start um but i guess um I'll start with where I am now, and I am a person who is in recovery from depression and anxiety and codependency. Um, I'm still a Pisces. I still um, am a cat owner. I'm a partner, um, sister, and um, I work in social justice uh, spaces, and um, I am a queer feminist. So that's kind of what I identify as right now and in the moment. Can you remember your first experience in therapy or working with a mental health professional? So I'll share a little bit uh, about my first time kind of dealing with these thoughts and thinking about needing help and going to therapy. And I think that my first memory that I had, that I have, was going to therapy with my mom. And we were still living in Ecuador and it was shortly after her and my dad kind of separated um so they had been married for I think 25 years they had five kids um and they were going through a divorce so my mom felt like she needed therapy I guess and she took me with her and I what I remember from that first kind of interaction was that we were um we went to a home um And the therapist had like an office in his house. And so we went in there and it felt like my mom was in therapy, not me. So I was mostly just sitting there and she was speaking for me. Um, And I don't know really why I was there. I was just taken and um, I just was sitting there and listening to her kind of tell the story of what was happening. And I was... I wasn't necessarily uncomfortable. Like I knew what it was about, but I didn't necessarily want to be there. I didn't feel comfortable and I just mostly wanted to leave. But I knew that my mom needed support. Um, That's something that I was really able to understand and identify then. Um, Shortly after that, I never went back to this person, to the doctor, but I'm not sure if my mom return there. So that was kind of my first introduction to what a therapist is and kind of what they do. And um, yeah, it was just a very weird interaction. But, you know, after that, I never went back to therapy in Ecuador. But then when I moved to the US, I had a kind of similar experience with my older sister, right? Um, I moved here when I was either 16 or 17. Um And then I was living with my uncle and aunt. Then I was living with some of my sisters. And then I was living with my other sisters. So I was kind of bouncing around a little bit. But kind of the same experience happened. She took me to therapy. Um, And so she dropped me off. She wasn't there with me. And I just had an opportunity to speak with a therapist. This was kind of in a college campus type of environment um don't know why but I was going to to see her and I was able to just talk to her about my experience and I think a lot of this had to do with me immigrating to the U.S. and moving at a really difficult age um and just providing uh some support and in retrospect I'm really thankful for my sister wanting to give me some support through 
therapy, but I didn't really know what to do with it. And honestly, I don't even remember what we we talked about or how I felt. I just know that I was seen as someone that needed help and needed support and was and was taken there. So for me, therapy has always been in that sense normalized that someone who is, you know, an elder in my family um, took me there and thought that I needed some sort of help or support. And so I was never against therapy. Um, It was never seen as something bad necessarily, but there was something kind of wrong or bad with you or you were in a bad situation to go there. And so later on when I had my own, you know, insurance and I was no longer in the care of any family member, I knew that I needed some some support because I was in a I was in a relationship, a codependent relationship and it was either while I was in the relationship or after it finished, I was not in a good place. And that's uh, a lot of the time where my depression came to um, came to a head. Uh, and I was unable to wake up, get out of bed, get myself together to go to to go to work. So it was really messing with my with my livelihood, with my every day to day. And so I was seeking out therapists to help, you know, figure out what I was going through. And I don't even think that I was naming it depression or anxiety or even like post-traumatic stress or anything like that. I just knew that I wasn't feeling well. And therapy was what was provided to me in the past by family members when I wasn't in a good place. And so that's what I did. And I remember seeing like one therapist um, and psychiatrist who I didn't like at all. They gave me a whole bunch of medication that I was taking on and off. So that was you know, not, not, not great for me. And then another therapist that I was with for a short time, that was okay. And then finally I found another therapist. So it was like four maybe, um, that I really liked. And I really was able to build a relationship with her and and really trust her. And I was with her until I moved to Chicago. So she was able to really prepare me for this kind of journey and another move and another new city and um, another migration, if you will. And so that's kind of has been my experience with with therapy. And that's why. And it was so funny because we were having this relationship with a couple of friends is when you are seeking out help and when you're seeking out a therapist, there's a lot that goes into it. Like it's not it's not easy uh, whatsoever. It's definitely not easy when you're going at it alone and when you're a young person and when you're new to uh, a different place, but um, it does take a lot of time. And that's why I think for a lot of us that have been in therapy and that for some reason that relationship ends and then you have to start therapy again, you have to really build yourself up to search for that therapist that fits with you. And that's been you know, my experience, even this past year, and I've shared in the podcast, you know, I started another therapist at the beginning, like maybe uh, 11 to 12 months ago, and then I changed insurance. And now finally, I'm with a therapist that I really like. She's awesome. She's Latina. She's bilingual, bicultural, and I can really connect with her. And um, it's, it's going really well. And I feel supported and really able to share with her like my healing journey. But it's definitely not easy, or I'll say it hasn't been easy t- for me to find someone that is not 
a kook because I feel like I did have that when I lived in Florida or someone that you can't really relate to or someone that you can't connect to. So, you know, it's it's definitely been a journey and it it takes time and it takes a lot of patience. And sometimes when you're in a crisis and when you're going through mental health situations, you don't have time or patience. So it's it can put you in a tough spot. But I think that for me, I always knew that therapy was something that I needed because I wasn't getting this type of support anywhere else, right? My family was unable to provide it to me. I didn't have friends that I could connect to in that way. So really a medical professional was who I needed to kind of help me. And so that's been my experience in therapy and through therapy and with different therapists. I love that you're you're explaining to us like the possibility or what it could look like when um, you have people in your family that help normalize accessing care when you need it. Um, I think that's really illuminating and, and can provide a lot of hope, you know, if we practice that with the people in our lives, right? Like how are we helping normalize conversations about just mental health in general, um, so thank you for sharing that. Can you give us a little bit of like context in terms of like where you land in your family? Can you map out your family for us? Sure, I'll map it out. Um, so yeah, my mom, my dad, then I have an older sister. Um, after that comes my brother. And then I have two twin sisters and then myself. So I'm the baby of the family and rightfully so. I mean, I do have a half sister, but I don't really know her or um, unfortunately count her very much as a sister because I haven't had a lot of um, connection with her but I'm very much the baby of the family and so that's why at times there's been other people's responsibility to care for me. Mm -hmm. So can you um, tell us a little bit about the experiences that you shared where you were accompanying people to therapy? what was it like for you to observe at first, right? Because a lot of it, like you said, it was in support of like your mom when you were were a younger person. Um, were there any uh, lessons or anything that you remember kind of standing out? So, yeah, the first two like experiences, like I said, were accompanying someone. And I just remember being taken there. So I really wish that someone would have explained to me like, but maybe, you know, someone would have explained to me, we're going to a medical professional because X, Y, and Z, and um, this is what they do, and this is what mental illness is, or this is where you go when you are having a tough time, you know, um, feeling good, um, just, you know, things that a child might be able to understand. And I can't hold that against them because I don't think that my family members had the language maybe, right? And I think that for many years I was mad and I felt resentment, but now I can see them as full humans that were also in a really tough spot, both of them. Um, And so I find it now extremely courageous what they did, right? It's really introduced me to a safe space where I can be myself when I can talk through my problems even if they weren't able to um, explain that in their own words because again yes they were normalizing it but 
they were going through that process for themselves um, and taking me along. So I was extremely um, lucky to have, you know, take to to have gone there with them and to have been introduced in that way because they themselves weren't weren't there yet. They themselves were going to therapy for the first time as well. So it was a very interesting dynamic. And I'm just um, I look back and I'm thankful and I honor their just strength and just courageousness because it wasn't a conversation that we had openly in my family. It wasn't a conversation that my parents had with us as children. It was something that was still kind of done on the side. I don't think I ever had a conversation with my sisters when I went to therapy that first time with my mom and told them about it because I still felt a little bit of shame. Um, It was still weird that I was that I was taken there and that there was something that we had to talk or discuss in kind of secret. So um, it was still kind of new for everyone. We were all trying to like feel better and learn and and move through kind of the trauma that everyone was facing. Um, Something that you just said that I think is really important is that language, right? Like having the language to talk about what we're going through or to give it a name even, right? Like giving depression a name, giving anxiety a name other than just like knowing, okay, I don't feel good. What does that even mean? Or, or having the language of like understanding what a therapist does, right? Like that's an ongoing education that so many of us are like going through, right? Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your experience with you coming to the realization of that language for yourself? Um, and then I want to follow up with a question about language in general, but like, I'm interested in, in understanding what your process has been so far around being able to name the things that you're working through. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that has really been a recent um, occasion for me. Like that didn't happen when I first went to therapy or anything like that. But I think that I first learned about depression through my mom. Um, And it was always in a joking way, right? It was never in a serious conversation. And that's very much like her, right? And that happens in a family where we don't have these types of conversations. And so the only way that maybe she felt that she could share that was through like jokes and just a funny way and never, never a serious way that she was talking about her health. And so at some point I remember her saying that she was taking a happy pill and it was Prozac. Right. Um, and we were still living in Ecuador. Um, and I think that this was even before the divorce happened and everything like that. So, you know, she was uh, struggling with mental health, um, and no one ever said anything to us. I just found out in that way. And she was just talking to my aunt and saying that if anything happens, she just takes her happy pill and she's, and she's good. And I found that so interesting. I, I didn't know what that meant. I just knew that she was, you know, taking medication to feel better. And so shortly thereafter, my parents did get divorced and, you know, it was very traumatic for everyone because my fa- because it wasn't just a regular divorce, but my dad was cheating on my mom he ha- with our neighbor. Um, he had another kid that they were having and um, all of our lives really fell apart because he abandoned the family. I was 15 
you know, it was it was a hard time and we didn't see him again. And my mom fell into a horrible depression and um, began to be very um, like self-sabotaging and just, you know, it was a downward spiral for her. She began to be more medicated. Um, she began drinking. She began um, to go out a lot. And so it was for her that's when it all began and then we really understood that she um was very clearly mentally um ill and it was it was really hard for all of us but i think that we still didn't know or understand what was happening we just thought that you know after the divorce she was never going to be the same and surely enough she was never the same um but she continued to go to doctors and she was just very heavily medicated and I was really afraid of that right so shortly after that we all moved to Florida and you know I didn't see her in about two years and then she moved to the U.S. Florida and she was staying with us and she was in a really bad place um and so we had to see her and at that point she was um addicted to medication and um drinking heavily and so I just remember her kind of withdrawing from everything right because she didn't have access to anything else she was in a new country and it was really hard to see her in that way and slowly but surely I could connect the dots very very in a very just like nebulous way she was sick we didn't know why we didn't know what was happening and so that's when we really knew that she needed a little bit more help. And that's when a lot of triggers were happening to me, right? Because I was now, after not seeing my mom in so long and being on my own for a little bit, then she was living with me again and um, I wasn't feeling good, right? And so I knew that I had to go to the doctor and just talk to someone. And that's when I was able to have a little bit more of a language. And, you know, sure enough, I had depression and you know, severe anxiety. And that's when I was able to kind of learn those medical terms. But that doesn't mean that just because you learn medical terms, you're able to uh, take control of the disease or feel better immediately or anything like that. That took so many years. That took almost a decade for me. Um, but it was the start of something, right? It was the start of me being proactive to really try to take control over my emotions, my you know, anxiety and depression and really being able to um, care about myself. Mm -hmm. um, thank you, Zoraya. So can you tell us a little bit about what it means to live with depression today? Um, because like I, I had started when we first started the, the interview, um, I, I said living with depression or having had depression or having depression, right? Depending on what your experience is like can look very different and there's different types of depression. Um, so can you tell us what that actually means to you? Um, and what does recovery from depression look like for you? Yeah, of course. Um, so for me, depression today is very different than what it was living with depression I would say even three years ago, even five years ago, 10 years ago, like it's been a real process and it's been ups and downs the entire time. And I think that that's one of the things that 
is the constant for me in depression. It's that it's always gone up and down like a roller coaster. Um, thankfully, um, I feel like I've, I'm in the best place that I've ever been. And I would knock on wood. Here it is. I'll knock on wood because um, I'm just very thankful that I have a support system, that I'm taking medication that works for me because not all medication you know, jives with each person. I've also have, um, have a support system and I'm, I'm more open about what I'm living through, but sometimes it feels like you'll never be happy. Sometimes it feels like you can't get out of bed. Sometimes it feels like you don't want to go to work and it's not because you don't want to, it's because you can't. Um, sometimes it feels like, and this is, you know, combination of both depression and anxiety, infiltrating thoughts in your head that will go away and obsessiveness over certain things. Um, it feels like you can't trust yourself and it feels like you're an imposter in your own life. Um, there, there are a lot of negative and, and, and nasty thoughts and feelings that depression brings to you, but um, it just, it's, it's very different, but I'm, I'm really lucky that I have really good medication that is keeping me the most balanced I've ever been. Um, and I think that a lot of the work that I've done with um, my therapist, a lot of work that I've done internally, and honestly, a lot of work that I've done here on the podcast has definitely helped me because one of the most, um, I was going to say magical, but I, I do feel like it's magical. But I think that one of the most powerful things that I've done is talk about the fact that this is how I feel because it's not my fault. I didn't give myself depression. I didn't definitely don't want it. Um, but the more I talk about it and the more I share it with you, the more I share it with other people, um, the more I understand that it's not that I'm crazy, the more I understand that I'm not the only one, the more I understand that there's other people living in the same um, kind of jail uh, that I am and that I have been. So it's just really important to, to as much as you can, not see yourself as a victim and really try to spread the word and create awareness. And it, it was really the impetus for me to wanting to to participate in this in this podcast because you know growing up I didn't have anyone to talk to about it because it's not a normal conversation that you have with your friends or with your mom with your sister with with anyone and so the more I talk about it the more I learn about mental health the more um, mental health advocates I follow on Instagram um, and the more um, we leave the shame behind is um, is the best way for me to kind of stay in the moment and realize that this is something that I'm going to live with, but it's not something that controls me or that it's who I am. It's just something that is part of me, right? I have weird feet, you know, I have wide feet, just like I have depression and anxiety, right? It's not everything about me. It's just something. And I'm so thankful that I'm able to um, treat it because for so many years I, I wasn't able to, and I know so many people that don't have the luxury to, to do so. What a gift that you're giving us too, because I, I think like you said, when, when we talk about our stories and we're not only helping ourselves, right, but we're helping other people. So I know that people who are listening, there's a lot of people that you're helping by just simply sharing 
with us who you are. So thank you. One thing that's standing out for me is how you talked about depression, your depression and anxiety um, and how they like work or interact together. Right. I've heard that that like depression and anxiety are like really good friends. Right. So um, can you talk a little more about the distinction between the two, but how they do work together for you specifically? Because like I said, a lot of what we're talking about is is how your what your experience has been and not that like you're talking for everyone who has depression. Yeah, I think that. So I have to think a little bit about this because in times in my life, one is more acute than the other and at times it's very difficult at least for me to differentiate who's attacking me um but i think that the best way that i can describe it is that depression is a very sad low feeling um it's more about you know self-harm hate um that kind of imposter right and then my anxiety is kind of the opposite right it's the feeling that I'm crawling out of my skin or that I have a lot of thoughts in my head that are very obsessive and they don't go away um, they both don't allow me to be present they both live in my head and don't allow me to be grounded and so I feel like when they interact in that way it's like I'm not even there I'm somewhere else and I'm I'm, I'm, I'm floating elsewhere. And so that's kind of the best way that, that I can describe them. And for me, they have appeared, like I said, more acute in different ways, depending on what's going on in my life. Right. So as an example, if I'm, you know, when I was going through my move here to Chicago, my anxiety was, you know, that's who took charge of of the situation right and it was so anxiety provoking anything that I would do was very overwhelming um, I was afraid of many things and so that's kind of how it operates in that way but then you know if I have you in grad school I I had a very high um, anxiety but also my depression um, took charge because there was a lot that I didn't believe in myself. Um, I wouldn't see anyone that looked like me. I was very alone. And so depression kind of creeps up when those feelings come about. So I don't know if I'm doing a good job at explaining, but they just come at different ways and interact in different ways, depending on the context of my life and what's what's going on. Um, and so my strategies or my coping mechanisms for both are going to be different, um, but also they kind of intersect and it's and it's it's really it's really weird and now it's like I said it's kind of part of me um so it's kind of normal part of me and I don't really pay that much attention to it but um yeah it's it's still there and and luckily like I am able to manage it now and um to be honest with you unless I have these conversations and I'm really mindful about it I just tend to forget about what it felt like to be at its worst um, because I never want to feel that way again. Um, and so I just try to kind of just move it along and, and not really think about it unless I'm I'm kind of in that place. So when I first asked you to join the podcast or to collaborate with me on this podcast, what did that feel like to you? Like, 
I'm really curious if you remember what that was like when I first asked you to collaborate with me on Sana Sana. Honestly, it felt like a golden opportunity. It felt like it was the opportunity for me to be honest with myself. It felt like an opportunity for me to create awareness about what I had gone through, what family members of mine had gone through. And I was really in a place um, where I had just started, I believe, what, this was like two years ago? Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, we've done a full year. Yes. So it was literally um, a time in my life where I had just reached out for help again to my medical you know, professionals. And I was like, I can't, I'm, I'm feeling it again. Right. I'm, I'm falling in this hole and I can't get out. And so I, I couldn't let the opportunity go because I was just going through the motions all over again. I was just starting to take medication. I was just starting a new therapist. I had just seeked out help once again, which is one of the most difficult things that, I feel like people can go through, right? Because sometimes, or at least I feel like I can do, I can do it all. I can face it all. I can take care of myself, but I I wasn't in that place. So when, I mean, we were just having a simple conversation and we were just, you were just mentioning it. And I was like, yes, it's going to be me. I'm going to do it. Like I need to explore this and I need to be proactive and transparent and, I don't want other people to feel as alone as I did and as I had. And and honestly, when we had that conversation, you and I, like I was just so thankful that you were open with me and that you and I could have that conversation um, because I don't have, um, well, no, now I do now. But I feel like growing up, there was not a lot of people that you could have this conversation with. And now, honestly, I do have this. Now that I'm thinking about it, I have the conversation of mental health with most of my inner circle. Um, And I just was so excited to continue that conversation with you and to make it public. And for folks out there that needed to hear it or that wanted to hear it or that anything that I could say could be relatable. Like that's really what I was seeking out. And so I remember feeling really excited um, and really thankful for the opportunity to just speak candidly about our experiences in healing, our experiences in recovery and our experiences trying to demystify and trying to normalize uh, mental health because it's still a struggle. It's still a struggle. And I mean, that's what has made us friends, right? The podcast is really what brought us together because we we knew each other. We had worked together, but we didn't really know each other when we first started, like really know each other when we started working on the podcast. I know. And I feel like it's so intense because we were like, okay, let's unpack all this shit the first two days of our real like friendship. And, you know, it's awesome because now I no tengo pelos en la lengua. I can tell you whatever I want and, you know, like dark secrets and shit. I know. And I guess everybody else does. <laughs> what a gift, girl. I keep saying it. What a gift you've given us. Um, I want to also take another step back. We just keep taking step backs because everything that you're sharing with us is so deep and so layered. Um, I want to take a step back to talk about what you've mentioned with us around 
what it's like to be an immigrant, right? And and having the experience that you shared, um, that's a shared experience in a lot of ways with your family, right? So can you tell us a little bit about what um, being a member of your family, what migrating to the U.S., um, how all of that contributed to your recovery um, and your your journey with mental health? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll provide just a little bit of context. So, you know, when I was, well, because it never was a decision for me to move. It was something that was done for me, right? But in terms of context, like my mom was sick, my dad had abandoned us. Um, all my sisters were already here in the U.S., so I was mostly alone in Ecuador. Um, and we, there was a huge economic downturn. We had no money. We had, I had, we had no housing. I was living with a friend, so it was, um, it was not an ideal situation. It was very, um, it was very scary. And then one day. My sister, my oldest sister, said, oh, we have a ticket for you, a, a plane ticket. You're coming next week. That's it, right? Pack your bags. And it was just, I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. I knew it was going to happen. It was never a conversation that I had with anyone. It was, like I said, something that was done to me. Um, and so that's what happened. Like I packed all my stuff in one suitcase everything else I tried to sell some of my like fan memorabilia I gave to my friend I put it in a box I said please keep this for me and then and then I I moved here so it was yeah it was pretty traumatic I brought my dog Rositas rest in peace um so he was my little companion for my trip and I landed in Florida and my sister picked me up and then I was living with my with my uncle so in a sense um being an immigrant even though like I was very familiar with the U.S. because I had family here I was born here um it was like living in another world because I'd never lived here and I'd never been a part of the society if you will and I was seen as an outsider immediately and so the like immigrant experience that I had really contributed to my men to my decaying mental health. Like it wasn't anything positive because now I was like a burden for my sisters and like I was like just staying at my uncle's and it was weird. Like not that anyone said anything negative or they weren't amazing and they didn't like receive me in the best way, but you I felt that way I felt just really out of place and I didn't know what to do and so I think a lot of my depression um and my anxiety really escalated there and I was just really unhappy and really sad because there was nothing for me to do with my days and um I was at a weird age that I still couldn't go to college I still couldn't work I still couldn't get a, a license so I just was there just I, I was doing nothing like I had no money I had no parents like it was it was tough and so that's where a lot of kind of that's where where a lot happened I feel like that's where a lot of the trauma that I've been trying to heal from and deal with um continued and so 
that was that was tough. I can only imagine what it is for other immigrants who don't who aren't citizens who come through by foot with families like I can only imagine what other types of migration feel and look like and it's not something um, it's not something great so I have a lot of compassion for others and I just I have a lot of compassion for myself and my family members because even though we were privileged in many ways it was still very tough um, to leave your country to leave your language to leave your culture your food just things are different and a little piece of you stays elsewhere and so a lot of like I said a lot of I carry a lot of trauma from from that even though I've gone to you know Ecuador back and seen some family and my best friend and stuff like that it's still it still feels so weird and so eerie and just just weird to go back and think about that experience and um yeah it's it's just very weird and I feel like I haven't really talked about it until until now in in kind of this context but um it was definitely um something that shaped me and that has made me into the person that I am and the advocate that I am and um something that I always think about when we're talking about social justice um, because we have to look at it in a healing way because a lot of people are traumatized and hurt and we have to take that into consideration when we're trying to help folks. I'm going to keep saying it because it's just, I'm just so grateful for you. So thank you. Um, thank you for, for sharing you with us. Um, I want, I have one last question. So what, um, you've talked about what you're currently doing, um, to manage, right? Um, your mental health, your, your depression, anxiety, um, what other sources of strength do you lean on today? And, uh, what brings you hope as you continue on this healing journey, as we talk about all the time, which is something that we'll be doing for the rest of our lives, right? What is that for you? I love that we're ending this in a positive note because I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer with a sad damn story, but um, yeah, I'm glad that we're talking about this. Um, I find a lot of hope in folks that are doing this type of work, right? Not that I'm saying that I find hope in myself, but in a sense I do because, you know, I'm going to be 30 and I was reflecting on it and I was telling my therapist, I was like, it's just so weird because I never thought that I would be 30. I just never thought that I would be in this place, right? Um, so when I think that how I'm in a good place, that gives me hope because for so many days, I was in such a bad place that I thought that I would never be happy, that I would never have a normal life or have a job that I love and enjoy, have a graduate degree. Like I never thought that these things would happen to me or that I would able I would be able to achieve them. And when I I realize it and basically I count my blessings, I I'm I'm brought to the realization that 
others can do it too, right? It's not, I'm not special. I didn't do anything extraordinary other than really put myself first or attempt to do that and really try to take care of myself and of my health. And so, yeah, I feel like when, when I think about that, it really provides me with a lot of inner power and thinking if I am able to make it to where I am now, then I, then I am able to do other things and I'm able to continue healing. And, you know, I feel that my family and friends and my partner provide me with so much hope and so much strength and um, just show me that it doesn't, you know, they still love me even though I'm sick. And I feel like a lot of people with mental health illnesses with mental health issues or illnesses we feel like we're not lovable or we can't be loved because of what's happening and and that's not true and I think that doing the work and putting yourself first and investing in yourself is one of the best things that you can do and is what truly just gives me hope for for the future and I and I really do hope that we can just continue the conversation and and like I said I feel like now so many people are talking about mental health and about mental illness um and there's more funding for it in a sense not in the city of chicago but elsewhere um so i i do feel like we are normalizing the conversation we are talking to our uh networks friends and family we are trying to put the shame on the back burner and i think that we need to continue doing that because mental health is just like your feet you know, like mental illness is just like your feet, rather like it's just part of you and you need to take care of it in maybe a different way. And the more that we talk about it, the more that we talk to our doctors, to our friends, to our family, to our employers about it, the more we'll be able to help those around us and help ourselves, really, because that's ultimately like one of the things that I've learned is that no one's going to take care of me. Even if they wanted to, right? My family wanted to take care of me, but they couldn't. I have to take care of myself. And so teaching myself how to do that has been a lifelong journey. And now it's a priority. And my mental health is a priority. So I have to continue working at it. It's not something that magically is just going to happen. So that's, you know, I don't know that I answered your question, but in finishing, you know, this interview, I just want to make sure that folks don't, think that it's easy um, or, or anything like that, but it is part of who you are and you just have to approach it in that way. So, you know, every time we have a corazón, a corazón, and I hear other people's experiences with trauma and with issues with their families and with society and patriarchy and, you know, intergenerational trauma and all these things that bring us together and that we should be approaching in a collective way it gives me so much just this like feeling that we can we we can move the needle on this and we can create change around this issue because you know we all want to feel better I feel like Rosie said that and she can't you know we all want to feel better we all want to be happy no one wants to you know be sad or be in a bad place like no one wants to feel that way and I just think that we need to all work together to to achieve that so again I don't know if I answered your question but I just 
um, it's lifelong work that we're not gonna, that I know, you know, we just have to continue doing that. And healing is, is amazing. Like I never, I never thought that I would feel this way and that I would be able to have a podcast with you about healing and like talk to so many people about the fact that we're working on ourselves. And, um, and it's just so interesting because in such an individualistic society that we live in, it's all about us. The last thing that we think about is taking care of us. So, um, that's that's really what my focus is and once I take care of myself everything around I I'm able to take care of everything around me right if I'm in a better place our relationship is able to thrive if I'm in a good place my relationship even a strained relationship with a family member can be healthier um my partnership can be better um so I just uh, I've found a lot of beauty and a lot of just honesty and getting to know myself, holding myself to like a higher standard than I have before and just seeing the seeing the worth in taking care of myself and really investing in it. So, yeah. Thank you, Tokaya. Thank you so much for, for agreeing to be our Corazón a Corazón special guest today. You're not really a guest, you're co-host so it's a it's a double hat kind of day um so thank you thank you so much you're welcome and sana mañana thank you for tuning in to another episode of sana sana podcast written and co-hosted by adriana and adriana our theme song is by alina celeste our cover art features a photograph by tanto jensen join the conversation follow sana sana on twitter facebook and instagram at sana sana podcast Send us love letters to sanasanapodcast at gmail.com. The puppies you hear in the background? That's Tita and Cordelia. Sana Sana is a Despierta production and is recorded at Full Circle Collective in the Bridgeport Art Center in Chicago, Illinois. To learn more about Full Circle Collective, visit fullcirclecollective.net.